couple winding downs that are happening for me right now. We're winding this down, and I'm getting ready to leave on a sabbatical. And so I don't know if you guys have heard this news. They announced it a few weeks ago, but I'm going to take a sabbatical. I'm going to take three months off uh, beginning June 1st. Uh, I have preached every Sunday, or pretty much every Sunday, for the last 27 years. This will be the first time in 27 years, some of you are like, I'm 27 years old, in 27 years that I will not preach for three months. So I'm not like, I'm not out preaching to other people's churches in those three months. Like the only congregation I have is like my kids. So I don't know, we might gather on a Sunday morning, I might start preaching to them, it may just well up in me. Uh, But I like, there's this winding down, I've been thinking about this like, 27 years of just showing up and preaching. And, and to be real honest, like there's days when you show up and you just got a word and you're excited. You're like, a, you're, you're like the basketball player in the, in the huddle and, or like, in the, in the, like you got your headphones in, you're listening, you're ready to go, like everything is ready and you're amped up and excited. There's other days when I feel like a prophet from the Old Testament and like God made me do this today. You guys don't know that. It's real, right? There's, there's days when you're thrilled and excited, and there's days when like, really, God? Like, this is hard. I don't, I don't know if I want to deliver these hard truths over and over again. I don't want to do this thing. But I, I was thinking about preaching this week, and I was just thinking about all the times when I sat through a message, and it was getting towards the end, and I was ready for it to end. Are you with me? Like, we've all been there. We like lunch is ready. You know where you're going. You got the time charted out. You're ready to go. You, you, the kids are sitting beside you and they're starting to get fidgety. You know, they're ready to leave and you're hungry and you're ready to go eat or you've got plans that day and the pastor just keeps going. Right? He's like, one more thing. Or as I wrap up, evangelicalism is what we do with our students. Are you with me? If you grew up in the church, you know that there's just like, student events are just, they're, they're God bless them. There's lots of things happening. But, but, but what happens at the end of a student event is like, you got a weekend with students. You guys know this. And, and Friday night is like fun. We're going to get to know you. And then Saturday night is like the invitation, right? You guys all know this. Saturday night is the night when you're doing youth events or youth camps or student things, where Saturday night is the night where they're getting a gospel message and the gospel message is coming. I, I went and spoke at this one event um, way down south. And, and when I showed up, the pastor, this is the, literally the word the pastor said to me. The pastor said to me, hey, I need to get 50 kids to accept Jesus this weekend or I think I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, all right, buddy, <laughs> like, no pressure on the speaker at that point. Like, like we got to figure this out. There, and, and sometimes what it turns into is it turns into this kind of long, drawn-out ending or closing. The, the pastor tells an emotional story that pries on your heart, you know, like the tears start flowing. Back in, in when I was growing up, we would wrap our arms around each other and sing Friends or Friends Forever, right? There was some kind of campfire, right? Are you guys with me? Anybody else experience this? Uh, just there's a few of us. There's a campfire of some sort, and there's like there's all these things. And and then what happens is the pastor does the every head bowed, every eye closed. You guys with me? How many of you experienced that growing up? 
a lot of us, right? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to stand up. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to, there's an altar call. The altars are open. This thing's happening. And, and, and it just starts to happen. And it's this kind of beautiful closing of the night. There's an invitation that goes with the message. And so we've built up this message. We've been telling you this thing. And now there's this invitation. And sometimes it's weird and manipulative, and sometimes it's good and holy, and sometimes it's right, and sometimes it's weird, and all of these things are happening. Jesus is getting to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus doesn't need to do the 17 altar calls that we got. Like, the, you know, the pastor that came up was like, I just think the Lord's still doing something. Uh, that, that weekend where the guy needed 50 to, to keep his job, seven times, Seven different times, somebody kept coming up. Not me. I was like, I'm preaching, and y'all can do whatever you want to do after that. They just kept coming up. I just think the Lord's stirring. There's, some, there's somebody who's being disobedient out there. There's somebody that needs to come forward. There's something that needs to happen here. And, and, and I, I, like, I love the zeal and the passion of like wanting people to make a commitment to Jesus, wanting people to make a decision to follow Jesus but Jesus doesn't ever have to manipulate us or coerce us into a decision into following him. Because Jesus is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And so when Jesus invites us to give our entire life to him, our whole fidelity to him, everything that we have, when he invites us to give ourselves to him, he's actually inviting us to the greatest thing that he can invite us to because the greatest gift that we have here on earth is the life, the ministry, the love of Jesus revealed uh, in, in our hearts and in our lives over and over again. And God is working and moving. And so Jesus is reaching the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he doesn't do the, hey, every head bowed, every eye closed. He doesn't do it. He doesn't do the, hey, I just get a sense that some of you need to come forward and pray this prayer that's actually not in the Bible. He doesn't do that. He doesn't open up the altars. But he does come strong. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He's just the last kind of closing thoughts. The kind of wind down of the sermon has been there is a narrow road and there is a wide road. The narrow road is difficult. It's hard. It's challenging. Jesus is kind of doing the opposite of what we often do at the invitation. He's telling us, this is hard. I'm not inviting you into something that's easy. I'm not inviting you into something that's simple. I'm inviting you into something that not everybody will choose, that not everybody will walk into, that not everybody has the courage and the power and the strength to step into because what I'm inviting you to is going to be difficult. It's a narrow road. Not everybody walks it. And then he says there's going to be some false prophets who are going to tell you that it's easy, who are going to offer you cheap grace, who are going to tell you this is a simple thing, it's, it's, it's not a hard thing, and, and I want you to know that it is hard. And then he says this, at the end of the days, there's going to be people that are going to come and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and they're going to be super respectful. Lord, Lord. I, I, was, uh, I, I was in Florida a few months ago, and when I was in Florida, I saw a guy wearing all Hawks gear. So he had like the Hawks flat bill, he had the Hawks t-shirt, he had the Hawks basketball shorts on, and I was like, oh, that's my man right there. And so like, I, I, sports is my thing, and so if I find somebody, um, well, that's not who it was, we can save that picture for later. Um, that's Trey Young. <laughs> 
Trey Young is the best player on, on the Hawks team. If you guys don't know sports and don't know the Hawks, that's Trey. And so this guy's wearing all his Hawks gear, and I, I walk up to him, and I'm like, hey, I'm from Atlanta. Uh, like, I, 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 had, I had some tickets this year. I went to about 10 games. I love the Hawks. Uh, are you a fan? And he's like, oh, I'm the biggest fan. I love the Hawks. And he, and he was like, he was like, tell me what you think the team needs to do, which is the wrong question for me. My kids are like, that kid could have just, that guy could have just asked me to explain the gospels, right? Like, I'm going in in this moment. Like, this is gonna be like the end of the sermon because I'm just gonna talk for a long time about what the Hawks need to do. And so I go in, I'm like, well, here, I think in the offseason, I think we gotta get rid of Herter and Bogdanovich. I think we gotta get a wing that can defend, and I think we gotta get somebody who can create their own shot. We also have to ship Collins off somewhere and get somebody who can get us 20 a night. And so I'm going into all of these things. And then I'm like, and Trey just needs help defensively. Now we can put it up. We'll get it. Uh, Trey just needs help defensively. Like, we got to get Trey Young help defensively. Trey Young is an amazing player. He's the only player in the history of both the NCAA and the NBA to lead the league in both scoring and assists. He's done that both, both in college and in the pros. He's an amazing scorer. But here's the reality about Trey Young he's the worst rated defender in the history of the NBA. You know that. So we need help defensively. So I'm telling this guy all of this stuff, and this guy looks at me, no joke. I had just gone on for like 10 minutes. I was giving him my heart, right? I was giving him every, there was so much wisdom in what I was sharing. Like, like if I had shared this with the general manager of the Hawks, they would have hired me, right? Like I was giving him all of this stuff. And, it, and this is what the guy does. He looks at me and says, which one is Trey? And I was like, oh, See ya. That's, that's who you are. Here's the thing. The guy had all the gear on. Head to toe. He had the shorts, the yellow ones, the new ones, the throwbacks. He had the t-shirt. He had the flat bill. He had everything. He had everything except any knowledge of what was actually happening. <laughs> had no idea. I wonder if this is what we do with the church, guys. Because I want to be honest with you. There's times when I'm out somewhere and I start a conversation with somebody and I tell them I'm a pastor and they're like, oh, I'm a Christian. And I go in. Right? Oh, let me tell you about our church. Let me tell you about what God's doing in my heart. Let me tell you about my kids. Let me tell you about the faith of my son. Let me tell you about what's going on in my life. Let me tell you about, I start telling them all these things and I look at them and then they're like, well, I mean, my grandma went to church. <laughs> right? Or they're like, oh, well, I, I mean, like, I'm American. <laughs> so doesn't that mean that I'm a, I'm a Christian? Or they'll, they'll, they'll say something like, well, I, you, know, you know, pastor, I'm fighting a good fight because you know how I voted. There are so many people that are cultural Christians who are wearing all the gear but have absolutely no knowledge of what Jesus asks or requires. There's cultural Christians who, who, who say, like, because of my family tradition, this is because, I know Jesus because of my family tradition. 
I know Jesus because my mom knew Jesus or my grandma knew Jesus or my great grandpa was a pastor that traveled and did this. There's Christians that live in this political realm that believe because they vote a certain way they're Christians. Our, 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 our voting does not determine our faith. Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father. And here's the thing, like a verbal confession or profession of our faith is good. It's good. It's good for us to say, I'm a Christian. It's good for us to say, like, I'm following Jesus. It's good for us to wear the uniform. It's good for us to have the gear. But Jesus is saying, it's not just about saying that you're a follower of mine. Many will say, Lord, Lord. But I'm looking for people who will do the will of my Father. I'm looking for a whole different category. I'm not looking for a bunch of people who are dressed up on Sunday, showing up. I go to church, so I'm a Christian. I'm looking for people who will give me their life. The profession of faith is important. It's significant. Paul says this in Romans 10:9. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's important for us to make a profession of faith. I think it's important for young people to come to the altar. I think it's important for us to pray a prayer. I think it's important for us to name these things. The problem is, is it's incomplete. It's not the whole thing. And Jesus is saying, some of you, you know the right words to say. Some of you, you, you know how to wear all the gear but I want your talk to line up with your walk. Jesus doesn't just want lip service. He wants complete allegiance. This is a big deal. Let me say it again. He doesn't just want lip service. He wants full and complete allegiance. John Stott said it this way. He said, Jesus never concealed the fact that his religion included a demand as well as an offer. The demand was total and the offer was free. If he offered men his salvation, he also demanded their submission. He gave no encouragement whatever to, to thoughtlessness, to thoughtless applicants of discipleship. He brought no pressure to bear on any inquirer. He sent irresponsible enthusiasts away empty. It is true, we are saved by grace through faith. But we cannot forget that Jesus asks for everything. Everything, all of it. Romans 12, one says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Listen to this. This is, Jesus is getting a play on words here because the people in the Old Testament understood sacrifices. They understood what it meant to come before and to kill something and to be purified by the blood. They understood this idea of this sacrifice that is dead speaks over what I'm doing. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about something dead. I'm inviting you to live. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to die. It's hard for us to live. He's inviting us to actually lay down ourselves, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. This means that we, our life becomes at God's disposal. I am laying myself down. Like, if we want to get really graphic with this, this is like us bringing ourselves before God, setting ourselves on the altar, and saying, Here's the knife. I'm the sacrifice. 
I trust you that much. Everything I have, everything I am, everything I do, my future, my past, my, my, my possessions, my, my plans, my hopes, my dreams, all of it, I'm laying at your feet and saying, it belongs to you. I think we have a misunderstanding. Here's what it says. It says, this is your act of spiritual worship. I think we have a misunderstanding of what spiritual worship is. Because we can go in when we're singing here and get excited. I can get emotional. I can get pumped up. I can get fired up. I can sing and I can get emotional. I, I, I can even give. I can bring my offering on a Sunday morning. I can dress up and wear my best. I can encourage people around me. I could even give a prophetic word to somebody in this room. I, I, could, even, like, I could even pray for people in this room. All of those things could happen, but our worship is found in our surrender. This is what it is. The spiritual act of worship happens when we lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. Jesus isn't saying to us, I want your Sunday mornings for two hours. He isn't saying to you, I want you to put up with some dude for 40 minutes on a Sunday morning as he walks around the stage and paces back and forth and gives you a message. He's saying, I want everything. He doesn't wrap up the message with some fun, emotional thing he wraps up the message by saying, I want your all. I want all of it. I want every bit of it. I want you to say, God, I am at your disposal. And he wants to make a real clear distinction on what saves you. Because a pastor doesn't have the power to save you. Showing up at church, having the perfect attendance record doesn't have the power to save you. A grandma that knew Jesus doesn't have the power to save you. A few good deeds doesn't have the power to save you. Sacrificial giving, worship, I could make this list go on and on and on, does not have the power to save you. Jesus does. And he's the only way. And over and over and over again, he's inviting us to lay down everything, not just to wear the team colors. He goes on, he says, and many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus goes in even deeper, right? Like the first word was hard enough. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but I don't want that. He goes even further. Some of you are prophesying. Some of you are casting out demons. That's real. That's like spiritual power and authority. That's real stuff. Like, uh, there's not a bunch of us that casted out demons this week. Right? This is real stuff that's happening here. And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, it's interesting because in each of the statements, the people come to him and say, Lord, Lord. Like there's this honor, there's this humility in calling him Lord. Like, you're, you are my Lord. Like, I'm trusting you. Lord is a, like a feudal Lord system. It's this idea of you are above me. There's this honor in it. There's this humility in it. Um, but but the Scripture says in James 2.19, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Like, even the demons believe that he's Lord. There's a different level of acknowledgement. It's not just an acknowledgement that you're a good teacher. Like, I think some of us, we show up at church every single Sunday because we're like, he's a good teacher, right? 
Like, I don't know anybody who's actually studied the Bible, like genuinely spent time in the Bible who doesn't think this is a brilliant teaching, who doesn't actually think that it's good for society if we actually live this way. It's brilliant. But I think there's a lot of us that come like, all right, Lord, Lord, you're a good teacher. He's like, I, don't, I want to be more than a teacher. I want to I go further than that. And it talks about prophesying and casting out demons. I think in modern days, we could replace that with all kinds of stuff. Well, I, I was a small group leader. I, I, I hosted a Bible study at my house. I was a greeter. I tithed often. I, I, I sang on the worship team. I was the holiest of all. I led a junior high Sunday school class. <laughs> like, I think we could name all of these different things. It's not just prophesying and casting out demons. There's all of these things that we could say, and Jesus is going to ask us, did I really know you? Did I really know you? All of these things aren't the way that we receive salvation. And Jesus is saying, I want to move beyond lip service, and I want you to give me your entire allegiance. So he's wrapping it up. The call is coming. Matthew Bates says this. He says, with regards to eternal salvation, rather than speaking of belief and trust or faith in Jesus, we often should speak more of fidelity to Jesus. We should speak of our allegiance to Jesus as king. Because think about this. Jesus' announcement from the day that he showed up was there is a kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's close. And it's good. And he's ushering in this new kingdom. And when a new king comes into power, there is a decision that everybody has to make. Will I fall under allegiance to this king? And the Bible is full of this language of a kingdom and a king. It's full of this language of a kingdom and workers. It's full of this language of kingdom and ambassadors. Every kingdom has allegiance. And our decision is, is our allegiance to King Jesus or is it not? I think we're hardwired to want a leader to follow. Are you with me? I think inside of us, all of us want someone that's worth following. We actually want to give our lives to something. Because I think the worst thing imaginable is not having something to lay your life down for. Like I think so many of us, we're bored because we're going through life over and over and again and we're going through the motions and we're clocking in and we're clocking out and we're driving to work on Monday and we're driving home on Friday and we're like, is this it? Is this all there is? And Jesus is saying, no, there is a leader that's worth following. There is something that's worth laying down your life for. There is something that's worth sacrificing for. There's something that's worth giving for. Like we're all wired for, to find this leader that we could give, someone who's worthy of our full devotion. We all want to find that person. We want to find a leader we respect. We want to find someone whose consistency of character we admire. We want to find someone who never asks us to do something that he hasn't done. We want to find a leader whose mission matters to us. We want to find someone that wins our allegiance because of their unselfish loyalty to us. We want to find someone who calls us to sacrifice because what they're inviting us to is far greater than the life we could live if we weren't with them. We all want that leader. And Jesus is saying, guys, I'm that leader. And I'm right here. And I'm ushering in something new. And I'm asking for your full devotion. 
And if we think about it, we could track back through the entire Sermon on the Mount because it takes continuous adherence to his teaching, right? You can't serve two masters, remember that? It takes continuous trusting and obedience. There's a narrow road and there's a wide road and I'm inviting you to the narrow road. It takes more than just saying something. It, 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 it's, it's not just laying up treasures for us on earth where moth and rust decay. It's laying up treasures in heaven. It takes a spirit that's different than the spirit of the world. It's the Beatitudes that we started with a long, long time ago. It's this continual pursuit of asking and seeking and knocking, and he set up the whole conference for this moment, and Jesus' invitation is this. I want your full devotion. And Jesus doesn't ask for our full devotion because he's manipulating He doesn't ask for our full devotion because he's going to use us. He doesn't ask for our full devotion because there's some trick on the other end of that. We're used to that when people ask for our devotions, right? We've all found leaders that aren't worth following. We've all found places in our life and here on earth that ask for our full devotion, that ask for our fidelity, that ask for everything and gave us nothing. Jesus invites us for our full devotion and he gives us back everything. The way that Jesus can unselfishly, unabashedly invite us to give everything is because he really believes that by giving us himself, he's giving us the best thing he could possibly give us. And so his invitation is, I want the best for you, and I believe that a relationship with me and my father is the best thing that I can invite you to. And so listen, like I prayed about this message all week. This was one of those weeks where I don't wake up excited about this message. I felt like Jeremiah in his underpants, right? Like, I'm not saying any of this to shame you or to scare you. But as your pastor, with genuine love, I want to say to you, if you're not sure, then let's be sure by the end of the day. The, the hardest part about being a pastor, guys, this is the hardest part. I've been reflecting on all this stuff as I get ready to go on my sabbatical. Like, there's things that hurt that I see every day. Like, I, I, I hear the stories of all the worst things that are going on in everybody's life, and I can't share them with anybody else. And I hear of how people I love have been hurt and broken and terrible things have happened to them, and I want victory for them. And the worst is sometimes people sit in front of me and I want more for their life than they do. And I see the hope that they could have if they would just receive Jesus. And I see this, I'm not willing to go that far. And so today, if I make an invitation right now for you to have a better life, we're going to fill these altars. I make an invitation, we're going to pray for healing. If somebody's got something going on in their body, you've got a back that hurts, a foot that hurts, everybody comes up. Every time we do a salvation invitation, there is crickets up in this place. And I've been praying that the Lord would break that. Because there has to be this humility in us that says, All of it. We just sang it. All of it. I want it. You can have it all. 
all my life, all my love, all my possessions, all my future, all my past, everything, I want to give it to you. And if you're unsure of where you stand with Jesus, if you're thinking, well, maybe I'm one of those guys that's going to say, Lord, Lord, that he's going to say, I never knew you. And I would invite you to come. We're going to bring the prayer team. We're going to set them up on the side here. And they've been praying all day that today would be the day where freedom comes. Today would be the day where salvation comes. Today would be the day where heaven celebrates because the lost has come home. And so we're going we're gonna to open up space for that to happen. We're going to set up, we've got communion stations, and if you're a follower of Jesus and your place is secure and you know that he knows you and you've given your life, then grab those communion elements and thank Jesus for his blood and for his body. Thank you for what he sacrificed for you. The band's going to come up, and, and, and as they do, I, I just want you to think about, like, are there areas of my life where Jesus doesn't have my full devotion? Are there areas in my life where I'm still holding back? Like you can have this part of my life, but you can't have this part of my life. You can have me on Sundays, but you can't have me on Friday nights. You can have me reading the Bible, but you cannot have access to my bank account. You can have this part of me. You can have me leading a small group, but you cannot have my job, my nine to five. Is there something that you could say to Jesus? Jesus, I want to give you my full devotion. What are you inviting me into today? And if that first step is just salvation, I want to invite you to come. So Heavenly Father, um, there is work that I can do as a pastor, and then there's work that only you can do. And so I submit and surrender to you right now and ask your Holy Spirit to move in this place right now. I ask that you would convict us of areas of our life where you're asking us for our full devotion and we're holding back. And I ask that you would challenge us to give more. And I also ask today that for someone in this room, that today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day where they say, I'm not going to live with a question of whether I know him. I want to know him. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd move and work in this place. In Jesus' name we pray.